Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. We are bringing you weekly roundup number 15, as it's April 30th, 2021, last day, excuse me, May 1st, last, uh, May 1st, excuse me, there, we had our date mixed up on our uh, script there, but hey, we're bringing you the news, we want to get right into it, because we've got a president who is very ambitious, Devin, we've got a president who... Uh, took charge, realized, <laughs> very radically. He took charge and realizes that uh, coming out of the pandemic, getting back, you know, building back better, he's got to spend some money. So, listeners, within our first segment, our first topic, we wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a Biden update. So, in case you haven't uh, uh, realized, he's released part two of his big plan. This one, it's about $1.8 trillion, so not as hefty as the other one, but still pretty big, Devin. But there, there's a, a lot of great things within this plan. So let's let's start off by trying to unpack a little bit of this. Um, one of the things that he's going to be doing is helping families afford child care, which is huge because we understand that that early childhood development is important. And he's hoping that that's going to be something that really boosts uh, child care for a lot of families. He wants to have them paying no more than 7% of their income on it. The other proposal is going to be making community college free and that's a great thing, listeners. We want everybody to be able to further their education if they choose to do that. A lot of states, like when I lived in Tennessee, they made community college available for all adults who didn't have a college degree. So that's really awesome to do that. Looks like the federal government would cover about 75 percent of that and then the state would help with the rest. Now, Devin, this one's really nice. It makes me wish, you know, uh, I was you know, getting some of this Pell Grant money. Uh, students right now can receive about 6500 uh, with this academic year, but President Biden is actually going to double that. So you're going to be looking at about you know twelve to $13,000 in Pell Grants. And I remember that Pell Grant money was pretty nice, Devin. It, it, it came in handy Indeed. with paying several things, <laughs> including tuition, you know, rent and all that kind of stuff, too. Uh, some of the other things, especially within my industry working in insurance, increasing and providing paid medical leave for people. That's really nice because most time when people take off family medical leave, you're taking that off almost more elective and you don't get any money for that because you're taking off to take care of one of your sick family members. But with this being paid, that's really, really awesome to be able to do that. And just to kind of run through the list a little bit more, uh, investing $200 billion in universal pre-K, awesome program there, recruiting more teachers and strengthening the educator workforce. We've already discussed how we need to do that and diversify our education workforce, even providing more nutrition assistance for children, like expanding that summer pandemic EBT uh, program and making sure that there's free meal programs for children in the highest poverty districts. So, Devin, I mean, there's a lot to really go in with uh, President Biden's plan. I mean, it, it doesn't stop from there. I mean, he, he's really trying to make sure that with this plan, he tells people that we're going to pay for it, not by raising taxes on you, but by raising tax on the wealthiest. I mean, he's talking about raising tax on the top 1%, the 39.6%, uh, talking about making sure capital gains and unrealized capital gains are taxed making sure that we crack down on hedge funds and even making sure that the IRS starts actually enforcing their uh, their tax code and kind of end this tax evasion of higher earners. So like I said, Devin, President Biden is really um, almost transformed since he took the oath of office because when he campaigned, he was kind of moderate. 
you know, I'm just healing the soul of America. But, you know, he seems to be a lot more progressive or maybe even liberal. What do you think about (laughs) it? You know, I have thought this for a while, but you remember during the election, Donald Trump and the Republicans kept saying, um, you know, like Biden's a Trojan horse. He's, <laughs> he's really he's really going to be controlled by, you know, the, the progressive wing of the party. You know, really like Kamala Harris is going to be in charge and Ocasio-Cortez are going to be running things. Um, while I disagree that he's a Trojan horse, I do think he is a great vehicle for them to get where they're trying to go, because we all think of Joe Biden as being the moderate and the center. But I'd like you say these, I mean, that you're talking $2 trillion um, of, of, you know, almost $2 trillion with just the American families plan. And then with the American jobs plan, you're talking 2.3 trillion. And this is already after we spent $2 trillion sending out stimulus checks and more aid um, for the, the COVID you know, uh, pandemic. And so it, it's massive. I mean, this is everything that the, the Democrats have been wanting to do uh, for decades, you know, free community college, uh, paid family and medical leave. That's huge. 12 weeks of guaranteed paid, um, you know, leave for families. Um, universal pre-K is another huge thing. That's, that's something we've, you know, even Hillary Clinton was like running on that. Um, when she ran in 2016. So you do see Joe Biden has absolutely shifted. You could say he's in the center. He's in the center of a party that's shifted to the left, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> like he's still the center. He's just way to the left, but he's still between the extremes of the Republicans and the Democrats um, of today. I mean, this is bold. I don't, you know, obviously it, it's hard to say if all of this is going to happen, but the Democrats do have a slim majority um, you know, in the Senate and the House. And, you know, I'm, I'm all, you know, I'm all for it. I know it's a lot of spending, but I think it's shown that through COVID that the government can step in and spend, you know, way more money than we thought. And we don't necessarily have to worry about inflation and all these different things that people are like, no, 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 government can't do this. And, and like you say, they do plan on um, paying for some of this with, raising income taxes on the rich, um, which again, people have to understand that 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 tax cut that we passed in 2017 under Donald Trump, um, that was massive. That in itself was almost $2 trillion. So you you see that, you know, even though this may, you may gawk at the fact that there's a $2 trillion plan, we took out upwards of $2 trillion just in tax cuts a couple Mm -hmm. of years ago. So you know, I don't know, Adrian, I'm all for it, but I do think what you're saying is a a Joe Biden who's trying to move in public as if he's, oh, sleep, you know, not sleepy Joe, but centrist, moderate Joe, who's just trying to bring the country together. But his plans are very progressive. I mean, almost FDR-like in how big they are um, and bold. And so, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to pass it, but I do know the Republicans understand that it's time that we did something about infrastructure um, and maybe even it's, you know, it's time that we've done something about, you know, universal pre-K. So there are things to work on, but <laughs> you would think, Devin, and, and, and the only thing I was going to say is that at least, uh, uh, you know, President Biden is, is trying, you know, he is That's true. He's trying to touch areas that have always been issues that we've always been talking about, because whenever you're talking about, you know, things that plague black and brown communities, 
if you could, you know, help with child care, if you could help with family medical leave, because we have, you know, a lot of health issues where we have to take off of work for our families and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Our kids don't get that early development like white majority kids do, so they can go on to maybe an Ivy League school. So what he's trying to do is really tackle these things from this plan and even the first plan where you're, you know, giving, you know, uh, broadband internet to, you know, rural communities. So, you know, I, I applaud the administration for finally tackling a lot of these issues that I felt that, you know, maybe President Obama couldn't do because he was black and because the Tea Party had come up so strongly against him. And even the Republicans, you know, made so many statements to try to make him a one term president. But, you know, President Biden is saying that now, you know, he's, you know, he's not black. He's white. He's you know got, you know, Congress, you know, both, you know, Democratic and he's able to kind of go and do some things. So hats off to the administration. Hope that uh, Joe Manchin, I don't I hadn't seen what he said oh, about boy. this, but uh, hopefully he'll get on board. I know he went on board with D.C. statehood. So who knows? It, it, exactly. It's hard. But I will say this uh, before we move on. I, it's hard to turn down you know, money for your state, you know, you're going to have to look West Virginians in the face and say, <laughs> oh, you know, just in, in the, because I'm a conservative and because of the budget and the deficit, you know, I turned down X amount of millions of dollars in state, you know, in state monies that's coming from the federal government that could be paying for infrastructure, universal pre-K. I, I feel like that's a hard sell, you know, to go to tell people, yeah, you could have had money to help you raise your kids, <laughs> but I didn't let you get it, <laughs> you know. That's <laughs> um, a good way. I'm telling you, that's why the Democrats need us for marketing. They do. I mean, you just have to lay it out there in black and white. That's what the Republicans do. You know, they, they come out and they lay it, you know, black and white. Hey, you know, we're, we're not for this and this is why. Democrats have to stop being so nice um, and, and soft about their messaging and to say, look, the Republicans don't want to help you. Period. <laughs> they want to help themselves and corporations. So, um, but yeah, big bold plan. But we again, we'll see if it, if it happens. Republicans, of course, are not even they they, they would consider some infrastructure stuff. But this is going to be a tall task um, for the Biden administration. And so, um, Joe Biden did give his speech uh, this week, and that was a rebuttal to his speech, as they usually is from the opposing party. Um, and that that rebuttal was given by Republican Senator uh, Tim Scott of South Carolina. And so he gave a message, uh, a rebuttal to President Biden. And in his message, interestingly enough, he said that he suggested, you know, that liberals are using race as a political weapon, um, defining all white people as oppressors and seeking to use the language of civil rights to rig elections. And he said, quote, hear me clearly, um, America is not a racist country. Um, and so he said it's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. And so, um, you, you know, Adrian, of course, the moment he said America is not a racist country, um, this kind of harkens back to the other. Uh, I think she was from South Carolina too, Nikki Haley said during the Republican convention last year that America wasn't a racist country or something to that effect. Um, and so, of course, that sparked outrage. Tim Scott's comments sparked more outrage from people. Black activists, you know, cr- publicly criticized him. Um, and they just kind of deemed him the latest in a line of black apologists mm-hmm. who give political <laughs> and racial coverage to white grievance. And so um, there was even one here, Bishop Talbert Swan, president of the Greater Springfield, Massachusetts chapter of the NAACP said, quote, 
trotting out sycophantic black folks who will serve as apologists for white supremacy is a tried and true tactic that racists have used for centuries. That's a pretty strong language there. Um, and I think even <laughs> Bishop uh, Swan even used the hashtag Uncle Tim, referring to Uncle Tom. And then, interesting enough, though, Adrian, despite all of this outrage, Kamala Harris came out yesterday and said, well, first of all, no, she doesn't think America is a racist country. So she's essentially agreeing uh, with Tim Scott, at least in the fact that America isn't a racist country. Uh, but she also did say, but we do have to speak the truth about the history of racism in our country and its existence today. So interesting dialogue that we're having here again about race in America. And so I don't know, Adrian, do you do you agree with that characterization that America isn't a racist country? Um, and, you know, just kind of what were your thoughts on what Tim Scott said? Well, Devin, I will definitely say that I, I don't agree with either um, Senator Scott or Vice President Harris. And I mean, I'm not saying that every American is racist, but if you look at the history and the culture and the institutions and the economy and the politics and the ed- if you look at every dynamic of the American fiber race it, it just plays a, a part of it i mean it's it's you know even in conversation when people are telling stories they say well hey that white guy or that black guy that's not even relevant you know that that, that person is black or white or hispanic or latino it doesn't matter but we just you know instantly go to that as something that we have to put a part of the story and that's just because race is so embedded within our you know society so i definitely disagree with both of them i mean i agree that you know with you know uh, vice president harris that yeah we've got to you know look at the the history and different things of that nature but yeah we have to acknowledge it you can't just i mean when you when you say it's not you're just ducking and dodging and say well let's move on past this and let's try to fix some stuff but no you got to call it like it is and I agree more with you know Bishop Swan. I don't. I won't you know take his abrupt statements you know about uh, Senator Scott. But I definitely think they missed the mark here because you know there, there's so many ways that you could use your power and your platform to amplify you know black and brown voices rather than saying well we don't have a problem here. That's essentially what to me. That's what I'm hearing is that they're saying we don't really have a problem here. It's just more or less. You know, the liberals and the media and the cancel culture just trying to shake things up and get people rattled up, you know, around the country about an issue that doesn't exist. But yes, listeners, America has an issue with racism. Uh, It's within our culture. Um, People pass it down from generation to generation. You ask somebody, you know, do they date outside of their race? And they say no. And they probably, you know, heard that from their parents or grandparents or they're embarrassed to take another race home. I mean, that's that's what it looks like here in America. So, yeah, Devin, I'll fight out coming, you know, come out and say uh, I don't agree with that statement. Um, I, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's racist, but that is a part of our culture. Yes. And, and, and it's something we're still trying to deal with. You know, I guess I feel like we're almost playing semantics a little bit when you say, like, is America a racist country, which makes it seem like there is just bigots and racists all over the place. You know, like we haven't really changed as a country. I guess in one hand, you could say, no, we're not that. You know, we're not. What maybe we a covert racist country. Let's say maybe we should just change that. <laughs> right. That's what I say. It's like. Is it a racist country makes it sound so, oh, my God, you know, everybody's racist. Is there (laughs) racism still in this country? 
Absolutely. And and the biggest example is our criminal justice system that has perpetuated a racist idea that black people are criminals. And it treats them like that the moment they walk into the courtroom, the way that they're sentenced, the way that they're treated in prison, the way that they're treated by the police officers. If you believe, you know, and that's and I and I like what you said about, you know, trying to say that we don't have a problem. Like we can say that racism exists in this country and we still need to be fighting it and getting rid of it and rooting it out. You can say that without just meaning, oh, the whole country is just racist. I don't think Mm -hmm. that's what people are trying to say, but I do think there are a lot of folks out there who want to change the conversation and don't want to be honest about where we are. It's not obvious that the country is racist, but understand that where we are today with black people being this almost permanent underclass was not by happenstance. This was really by design. The, that the fact that where we are today, these systems that are in place, educational, criminal justice system, our economic system, has perpetuated this vicious cycle of not allowing Black people to really attain power and wealth. The main thing is power. You can get so far. You know, as, as Black folks, we can get so far, but we are not really in charge <laughs> of anything. You see, it, you see it in the government. No disrespect to Joe Biden. But we did the story on Marsha Fudge. Remember, she was like, she didn't want to be one of those token Black people who go to these typical government agencies that are run by Black people. And where does she end up? That HUD, the one that's usually for the Black person. You know, we don't see them, we don't see us in places like being Treasury Secretary or over, you know, Secretary of Agriculture or Energy, you know. So it's like, we're, we're here, we're participating in America, the rules of the game have changed. But for the most part, I, us as a community, we haven't moved. And people are trying to convince us that <laughs> the reason why we're in this spot is just completely of our own doing and not because that there are systems in place that even though the people themselves may not necessarily be, quote unquote, you know, racist, they are not actively trying to examine these systems and say, how do we fix the inequities that it keeps perpetuating? Whether it's education, economics, we're not being honest, <laughs> essentially, with ourselves. Um and so, I don't, you know, it's, I guess you could say I, I agree, but disagree. I just, I disagree with the statement the way it's characterized. And I think it just gets people's attention because nobody's just going to say, oh, yeah, the whole country is just racist. And that's not true. But it's also not true that we don't have a problem either, like you say. So <laughs> I think it can kind of cut both ways. I completely agree, Devin. I, I think, you know, like you said, it could be a matter of semantics and how um, you present it. So maybe we need to, you know, change the way we present this thing here. But what we're going to do, listeners, before we uh, take you into our break, we want to just give you a quick little bit here. There was some bones that were discovered in a Los Angeles, uh, excuse me, Las Vegas couple's home that actually delayed the insulation in their pool. Pool builders actually discovered the bones about five feet below ground. After an investigation, police said the bones did not belong to a human and raised no law enforcement concerns. The Nevada Science Center Research Director Joshua Bonde said that the bones are between six, uh, four, six to 14,000 years old and that they are probably those of a horse or similar large mammal. So interesting little fact there, Devin, some bones discovered from Earth's most recent ice age. So uh, listeners, we're going to take our break here and then we'll be right back with our second segment. So enjoy the break.
have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's get back into it. Our second segment, topic one, we wanted to talk about a community-based policing program we discovered uh, coming from an HBCU. Devin, it's nice after we did our HBCU series. It's like all this HBCU news has been popping up. Sorry, just a little share for the HBCUs there. I, hey, no, that's why I wanted that, that. They need a standing ovation right there. And I wish we would have gotten uh, Lincoln University within our uh, uh, series now. Maybe they could have told us some insight about this program. But check this out, uh, listeners. Lincoln University in Missouri has become the first HBCU to train police recruits on campus at their Lincoln University Law Enforcement Training Academy established earlier this year. Led by Lincoln University Police Chief Gary Hill, the program allows its students to spend their final semester at the university doing full-time police training. In addition to viewing and analyzing body cam and cell phone footage of incidents as part of their curriculum. According to Time.com, the program runs for 22 weeks on evenings and Saturdays. Students learn how to shoot a firearm and when to use force as well as how to respond to domestic violence and child abuse calls and how to deal with death encountered on the job. Hill, the police chief, says that the academy steers away from the military-style teaching methods that traditional police academies have been criticized for using. He says a chunk of the curriculum focused on de-escalation strategies and that he has personally vetted the instructors who are all local law enforcement officers. A study recently published actually found that Black and Hispanic officers use force less frequently than white officers, especially against Black people, evidence that diversity can improve police treatment of communities of color. So, Devin, really incredible story here. Seeing an HBCU, like, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Hudson said, meeting the moment, rising up to the occasion, doing something to try to curb this police brutality. I, I really, really applaud the university for this. We may need to do like a follow-up story to see what's going on with this and how this is, you know, advancing. Uh, maybe even need to see what we can do to expand this, you know, to other HBCUs or other, you know, uh, PWIs, whatever the case may be. But, you know, what are your thoughts, Devin? No, I, I think it's great. And like you say, it's, it's great to see an HBCU um, Lincoln University getting involved on the ground level of training the officers that are going to be patrolling our neighborhoods, you know, and then that's a sign there to understand that um, even as, as African-Americans, we, you know, you, we, we understand the need for police. We understand they serve a purpose, uh, but we also understand that they can be deadly. And so some of it, like, like they were saying, is the military style training that they're receiving. Um, we know that Although we may think that they are trained, um, you know, to, to, to have firearms and everything, that that training is not exactly um, what you would think would a, a police officer would receive to be allowed to go on the street and, and carry a, a weapon on their hip. 
Um, I, I think it's interesting and, and it's good to see that them, you know, see the, the university getting involved. Um, it, it explores a bigger question too of whether we should require, you know, our police officers to have college degrees. We talked about this, you know, with the officers from the Dallas Police Department, and you know, they were in in favor of it, but it's also a flip side to that, which is you cut down on the pool of people who could become police officers because most um, officers don't have a college degree. Um, so when you require a, a college degree, you do cut down on the pool of people, um, which we already know police departments are having a harder time re- recruiting people um, to come in and be officers. Um, and so I do think that we should explore raising you know, the, the, the requirements to become a police officer, increasing the amount of training. Um, but we have to also find a way to recruit people in um, to, to where they want to be a part of the solution and not just be on the, sh- you know, out on the street protesting, which is fine. But we also have to come up with solutions. And this is one of them with allowing our universities, HBCUs, to get involved in training on the ground level, training them in de-escalation and how to do um, certain things. So, this type of stuff, I know we had a question here, does this kind of training need to be everywhere? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it is more yeah, than, I mean, we have more than one way to train police officers. <laughs> exactly. It's like many of our HBCU presidents said, you know, if we as black Americans don't take back the responsibility, who else is going to do it? I mean, we're, we're giving that responsibility away to others and it's become a military style teaching versus mm-hmm. de-escalation and understanding the community. And, you know, I think, you know, it's like, you know, Officer Vincent from uh, Dallas PD was saying, you know, the college degree, yes, it could, you know, you know, lessen the pool, but it also shows a little bit of rigor and towards it mm-hmm. to, to that individual and going into that training, the dedication they have, especially if there was, you, you maybe could even do some special two-year college degree, like an associate's degree or something like that. That way you at least have a little bit more training and time put into it. Because, I mean, you, you, you've got such great responsibility as a police officer, and we don't need that to be, you know, a light responsibility. Um, you know, like uh, Officer Nicole had said, you know, you get a lot of people who are coming fresh out of you know uh, high school. They're in their yeah. early 20s. They don't really even know anything about, you know, any other race outside of just their little household. And they're coming in thinking they're supposed to be superheroes. The, the men in blue, that, that, that bold line is, you know, keeping down crime and violence. And they just, you know, really start to do this military style policing of our community. So hats off uh, uh, to Lincoln University. I really, really hope that we can start to see this throughout many, many more communities because we're at a point, Devin, where more and more people are asking, do we need police? And I think, yes, we need police, but we also need good police. We can't have you know, like I think somebody said the analogy of a bad surgeon or a bad teacher, you know, we get rid of those. We don't want bad surgeons or bad teachers. We don't want bad cops. So this is a step in the right direction. This is positive momentum and we need it everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, we do. And so uh, that's an interesting story. And hopefully, like you say, maybe that'll take off and end up being, you know, something that other universities can copy. Um, and try to get involved on the ground level with training to police officers who are going to be patrolling our neighborhood. So um, we'll keep you updated on that story. So we did want to shift a little bit to our next topic here, which is the 2020 census. So you may not have heard about this, uh, but we do have some of the preliminary numbers from the census from last year. And the reason we really wanted to talk about this is because um, this has impact, you know, obviously where funding goes, but also in the elections, 
because there were some states who actually lost a seat in Congress or aka an electoral vote, basically. Um, and so on Monday, the Census Bureau released the data from the census, and they revealed that the population of the country is 331 million people, um, which if you base, you know, from 2010 to 2020, uh, 20, uh, that is the slowest, that is the second slowest population growth rate in history. And so uh, what happened, so out of those 331 million people, they, you know, they go and they look at each state. And so what happened is now in Congress, states like Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, and Oregon all gained one seat in Congress. And then Texas actually gained two seats in Congress. Um, which means they all have one extra electoral vote and Texas has two extra electoral votes. And then um, California, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania and West Virginia all lost one congressional seat. Um, and so the, and these were extremely close. Like in the case of New York, they lost their congressional district by just 89 people. So when people, you know, when people say fill out the census form and turn it in, they mean it. They say <laughs> it for a reason. <laughs> right. You better do it uh, because it can cost the state a congressional district. If they had 80 or, you know, if they had 89 people registered for the census, that, you know, that lost congressional seat would have gone down to Minnesota and New York would have kept it. Um, and so interestingly, though, Adrian, we're kind of seeing a migration southward. Uh, there were some states that did see a, de- a decrease in their population. Uh, one of them was West Virginia that saw a decline of about 3%. We were just talking about Joe Manchin, uh, which means they have about 60,000 fewer people in West Virginia. And then our home state of Mississippi lost 0.2% um, of its residents, which is about 6,000 people. And then Illinois lost uh, 0.1% of their residents, which is about 18,000 people. And so uh, Illinois actually dropped from being the fifth largest state to now they are sixth place behind Pennsylvania. Interestingly though, Utah is the fastest growing state in the country. They grew by almost 20%, 18.4% between 2010 and 2020. That state grew by 18%. Um, and so they also had the highest gain in its natural rate, which is total births minus deaths. Um, and so that factored in as well. And so like I say, overall, the population increased by 7% from 2010 to 2020. Um, and so that's, the, like I say, the second slowest you know, growth rate um, in quite a while. And in, in the South overall, so a 10% increase in population, um, then followed by the West, Northeast, and Midwest. So, Adrian, it's interesting here. We're seeing a shift downward. You're seeing my, you know, the state I'm in, Texas, has been growing. Um, I can tell you that is true. <laughs> and then also, you know, I know Florida gained a congressional seat, but you do see states like Mississippi, West Virginia, losing population. So just, you know, kind of give your your thoughts on that. You know, Devin, it's really important when we look at this because you, you think about the the ideologies coming out of these regions, whether it be the West Coast, the East Coast, the South. Uh, and if you're giving, you know, more regions, more power, I mean, that could definitely be influential in our policy and in our government, things of that nature. Because um, when you've got, you know, places who are, you know, gaining seats that are more progressive, we might have more progressive ideas. Um, we may have some shifts in, in our policy, which could be really great. But I think it also really shows 
maybe what's going on um, around the country to where um, you may have some uh, people like us, you know, black and brown who are starting to migrate back home to rebuild our communities. Or you may have in some places where they're exiting California because taxes are super high and business regulations are hard to have profitability here. Um, you, I, I could even imagine that maybe some places have uh, seen gains uh, just because of maybe some of the social movements. Uh, maybe some people have, you know, realized they've gotten tired of living in a, uh, in a, uh, I guess, a more antiquated area and would like to live in a more pro- uh, progressive area. I don't know what's going on in Utah. I, um, I feel <laughs> like I need to go figure out what's going on. Maybe go to Salt Lake City or something and figure out, you know, is there something in the water? Because clearly they are growing really, really fast. But uh, listeners, the main thing about this is, is really about how it can impact, you know, government because you know obviously people can live and move wherever they want to and be a part of wherever they want but that really really impacts you know our government and i think it just says you know quality of life because you know going back to our home state a lot of people don't want to live there because the quality of life isn't well i mean you you can't really find a job um if you don't really have a car there's not really good transportation most places to get around um, there's not many opportunities for your children to do things after school. Um, there's a lot of things that are lacking that make the quality of life not uh, good for people. So they do choose to move. So uh, I think, Devin, this census uh, should be a wake-up call for uh, states uh, and, lo- and localities to say, hey, what are we doing or what are these other places doing like Utah? What are they doing where people are wanting to move to them at, you know, the fastest growing population. I mean, this is a learning moment for each state to take and consider so that we can actually, you know, start to have a a more progressive country everywhere and and really start to uh, maybe shift the balance so people don't feel they have to move and migrate. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, I know here in Texas, like I say, a lot of people are moving here. The state is turning more, uh, progressive. I mean, it's still solidly Republican, though. Um, and so you will see now, now that we have the population numbers, now we're going to move on to drawing um, congressional districts, which is a whole nother problem with gerrymandering and everything else. Um, but it is interesting to see, like you say, people are leaving California, trying to get away so much. Not, I mean, I think it's more so high taxes, but also just mm-hmm. the mismanagement of housing you know, Gavin Newsom is, is getting recalled. So, I mean, that lets you know just how bad the situation is there to where they're recalling their governor because um, he's mismanaged. You know, they say COVID. Also, I know housing prices has been a problem. Finding affordable housing has been a problem. The homeless situation that he has not been able to um, fix. And the same thing for New York. I think people are looking and saying, where can I go? Where can I afford you know, decent housing for an affordable price. And Texas is wide open right now. Um, although I will say, caveat here in Dallas, the housing market is ridiculous. <laughs> um, it is on fire. You cannot find a house, really. Um, and so the prices are just shooting through the roof. And, and maybe this is part of it. People are moving here, so it's driving the prices up. But it's interesting to see. And like you say, there will be some some consequences as far as elections go, whether that's congressional, but also you know, um, federal, where you're talking, Texas now has 40 electoral votes. So they're gaining power here um, in the state. And so we know everybody thought maybe Joe Biden had a chance to flip Texas. We know the state is getting more diverse. So maybe, you know, maybe down the line, you could see a more purplish Texas, which would be 
humongous when you're talking about the Electoral College. So could be something to you know, keep our eyes on uh, for the next couple election cycles there. Um, so before we go to break, we're going to take one. We're going to do it before the break and we'll take our last break and get into our third segment. Um, so before we go, we did want to let you know um, a story here about emerging artist Reggie Boone. Um, so let me get my um, break music going. All right. Um, but yeah, so emerging artist Reggie Boone says that he wrote no more after he sat in his living room watching the news about George Floyd, um, another black man, a human being's life being taken away. And so Boone, who was discovered by Steve Harvey, says he wrote, he writes lyrics to promote the message of equality, ending police brutality, and the power behind genuinely getting to know each other beyond our skin color. And so uh, Reggie says that he sees the Derek, Derek Chauvin guilty verdict as definitely a pivotal step. But with the tragic shooting of Dante Wright, Boone continues his mission through his music to raise awareness about police, um, about violence incited against minorities with the message of uplifted, upliftment to every human being, reminding them to love God and each other. So a positive message there in the tank with you. I'm into the break. So uh, we're going to take our, our second break here and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back. So we're getting into our third segment here. And our first um, topic here is going to be about Jay-Z. So Jay-Z actually did an an interview here, interesting interview uh, with the England Sunday Times um, style section in which he talked about how his family has navigated the coronavirus pandemic, among other subjects. And so um, the 51-year-old rap icon was asked if he thought cancel culture would end anytime soon. And so Jay-Z said, quote, You can't give someone a microphone for 24 hours a day and have them not think they have to use it. Um, He told the reporter uh, he noted that the rapper seemed to feel a bit sorry for the younger stars coming up today. Jay-Z said, quote, these kids, it's unbelievable. Imagine having a microphone and you're asked about social justice questions at 18 years old. It's like, what? I meant to know the answer. And if I don't know the answer the correct way, if I don't say everything right, even if my intentions are right, and I don't say the same right thing is going to be everywhere. And so uh, Jay-Z was uh, referencing the social media is aligned with how much he uses the platform. Um, he has a Twitter account, which he rarely uses, and he has only occasionally popped up on Instagram. Um, but also, if you were wondering if he's going to be performing anytime soon, he says he's unsure when he will perform live again. But he is definitely planning on it. He says he does miss being on um, on tour and performing. And so... It's interesting comments there, Adrian, about cancel culture and social media, but also Jay-Z pointed out a perspective we don't hear about, which is, you know, like he says, these young stars, 18-year-olds who are being asked questions about social justice, 
and criminal justice at, you know, such a young age where they're not necessarily <laughs> experts on these things and they may not say what everybody wants them to say. And they're being criticized for it, you know, brutally on social media. And people are just forgetting um, like these are kids. <laughs> yeah, Devin, it's I, I it's interesting for sure. I, I, I have mixed thoughts on it in the sense that um once you have risen to uh, an ele- you know, once you're at a platform where you've got a lot of viewers, subscribers, listeners, followers, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying it's your responsibility to educate yourself over every issue, but I think it is your responsibility to figure out how to use your position to maybe align with things that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you have to be someone that, because I mean, me, I, I don't know everything about every issue that's going on. I don't know about everything that's going on around the world. I don't know everything about LGBTQ issues or abortion issues and things of that nature. But I think when you do get a platform, um, you should you know, start to educate yourself over something, whether it's education, housing, homelessness, just so you have... Um, you know, some values in that position. I mean, that's that would be my uh, take. I definitely agree that you can't um, ask every 18 year old, you know, what do you think about police brutality? Or what do you think about, you know, uh, prison reform? What do you, I mean, I think that there are certain things being so young, you probably don't have uh, an educated opinion over or you probably haven't even been exposed to or had the time to do some research over. But I think if you are going to um, you know, if you're going to take upon that responsibility to be a celebrity, to be, you know, someone that's influential, well, I think it's your responsibility to understand that, you know, the value that you're going to have and to use it for something. So that that's what I would say, if that makes sense. No, no, I, I get I get that point of view. I do think um, we have to be careful asking our youngest, you know, to to be so old and mature at an age where most of us, you know, 20 years ago, you weren't being asked about, you could be a teen star and just be a teen star. You didn't have to worry about, man, where do you come down on criminal justice? Where do you come down on X, Y, and Z? Um, Because you're still growing up and and forming your own opinions. And and I say that I don't, I don't like the way that we're handling this because they are not allowed to speak what they really think. You know, if they disagreed with say the Black Lives Matter movement, they're not going to say that because they don't want their fans, you know, to just bombard them with negative messages. So I don't know how helpful it is to stick a microphone in front of an 18 year old and say, Hey, what do you think about X, Y, and Z, whether they have a platform or not, I think they should be in a role of, I will use my money and resources to put, you know, to help organizations who are pushing a certain type of message. But I don't look to these teen stars as being sort of thought leaders in our community or like, what do you think about it? Like, no, let let, let them form their own opinions and eventually they're going to let us know. And I think it's part of a larger trend, I think, at least where we're not allowing the younger kids, those who are less than 18 years old, to just be kids. Like, there's no need for you to feel like if you're in middle school to feel as though you need to have a stance on criminal justice and Black Lives Matter. I get, you know, the whole like that's being activist thing, but I just feel like it doesn't allow the kids to just be kids. And we're trying to groom them into like these mini adult activists um, when they really shouldn't. And it's a lot of extra pressure 
you know, for a kid who's already trying to grow and and figure out who they are as a person to not have to deal with what society thinks they think about certain topics. Um, so I, I, I will I will agree with you in that. Like kids, like if you're not like a legal adult, I mean, yeah, you should be playing football, going to prom or whatever. Um, but I think as an adult, especially going into adulthood, um, I, I can also agree that, you know, we shouldn't put pressure on them to do certain things. Um, I would just say that, you know, whether it was back in the day or now, um, I would just hope that people who have a platform would be more altruistic. But I am a more naive individual, Devin. <laughs> and I know that a lot of people <laughs> who do have a platform don't you know, think about how to use it for a higher purpose. But that I would say that would be my um, my closing argument. And that is just that I, I hope that more people. Uh, you know, whenever you become, you know, an adult and you, you hit that mark and you step out into the world as an independent, you know, person mm-hmm. that, you know, you can, you know, take it upon yourself to, you know, educate and learn some things and, you know, you know, take upon a cause that you love. Like I said, not saying you've got to know any and everything and all that good stuff, but I just hope that people uh, who do have the resources to bring awareness to causes um, can you know just use a little bit of that? That would be my my, my defense. Yeah, and, and I understand that, and we saw that over the summer last year with the pushing of taking down the Confederate flag in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. You know, which was primarily pushed by football players. You know, at the colleges who are twenty, some of them are nineteen, twenty, twenty one, um, who had to use their platform and their voice and and push to have the flag taken down. And a lot of people were supported, but I just, I think it worked because they agreed with the majority of people in that it was time to take it down. But I think that's fine. And, and society is okay with that as long as they agree with them. But if they ever came out and said, no, I don't think this is okay, then we're just going to kill them and say, no, you shut up. You, you, you go away. We don't like what you're saying type of thing. And that's where Jay-Z was getting at the cancel culture of like, mm-hmm. There seems to be only one way or the, or you're going to get bombarded <laughs> with, you know, negative messages. You're a terrible person. You're misogynist. You're all these awful things. And you're an 18 year old kid trying to figure out what you really believe in the issue. <laughs> it is. And it's like we're asking a lot, you know, <laughs> of these, you know, kids who are of people who are that young to say, hey, we want you to go out here and thread the needle and give a message about, you know, social justice and criminal justice. But you better make sure you say it in the right way. Otherwise, you could be risking your whole career. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's a lot. Right. <laughs> it is a lot. And I mean, it speaks to some of the other things that we can work on, which is, you know, in, 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 uh, in our K through 12 systems, making sure that we educate them over, you know, what's going on in the world and society. So they come out a more holistic adult, you know, just realizing what's going on. I definitely yeah, agree with you, Devin, in the sense that, um, as a child, you should be able to be a child. You shouldn't have to necessarily have to um, take positions. You should learn about what's going on so that you know that you know racism is a part of the culture or uh, different things of that nature. But I definitely will, you know, to take you know the wrap, you know, wrap that. I would definitely say, you know, I agree. Kids should be able to be kids so that they can you know have those moments and memories. Um, but we should also make sure to educate them so that they can. Um, you know, be competent adults and be productive members of society. Um, but no, I agree with you there too. Yeah. And, and last thing before, I know we got to move on, but it's, it's funny where this topic came up because yesterday, um, 
you know, I, I went to my barber and there was a commercial playing on TV where it was like kids talking about, you know, I got to make my voice heard. You're, you're, you know, messing with my future. So I got to let you know what I think. And I was just like, that's the problem. You know, that's part of the problem with the kids these days is that they feel as though they have to take a position on all these slew of different issues at, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. Like, <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> like, that's why they're growing up needing, you know, psychological help and needing, you know, therapy and these different things because they've had to deal with what are really adult issues way earlier than they really should be doing it. They're not experts. I get it. Their future is is what's being affected, but they are not adults, and we should just let them stay <laughs> as children. Like you say, teach them about the issues, but don't. I just think we're making a mistake. Don't ask them to form opinions just yet. Yeah, like yeah, just educate yourself, but don't feel like you need to go out and be an activist at age ten. <laughs> no, I agree. I can definitely agree with that because obviously at that age, um, your thoughts are a lot more malleable to where they can be influenced by exactly. a host of different people, from your peers to your parents to a coach or whatever. So, no, I definitely agree. Educate them. Don't, you know, take their childhood away and tell them you've got to, you know, form an opinion. If they'd like to be an activist, sure, you know, help them out, get them, get them in a mentorship program for young activists or something, but definitely don't make it a requirement. Maybe that should just be a thing. We should create a, a mentorship program for those that want to do it. And for those who don't, like you said, Devin, send some of your money uh, towards a, a charity that you like. Right. That's all it takes. <laughs> exactly. Because, hey, every charity needs a little bit of money. <laughs> but, hey, to take us into our second topic here, keeping it a little bit within the, the, the hip-hop rap world, and this is coming from hip-hop mogul Master P, um, who's really saying that we need a hip-hop union. Um, he was saying, uh, kind of based off some takes, you know, with the late DMX, is that you know DMX was an icon, and just hate that uh, we have to wait till something happens to one of these guys or to one of us before everyone starts saying how much they care and they love them. He did this in an impromptu interview with TMZ, but he went on to talk about you know how you know hip hop artists they don't have a union. And he kind of referenced the NBA's union and said, you know, when an uh, NBA person retires, they go to Sports Center. But when uh, a hip hop artist retires, they go back to the, he- uh, the, the the ghetto or the hood or something like that. And, you know, he you know kind of talked a little bit more about how, you know, with his ventures, he kind of diversified his assets. He has a food line called Uncle P's. Um, and, you know, many of his uh, companies, you know, he probably does some clothing, probably does a bunch of other things, too, where he actually has other things aside from his music. Uh, his hopes really um, is that these big companies who make money off of him and artists like the late DMX can try to change the way they act to prevent uh, the next up and coming generation of artists from struggling after their glory days and they're no longer making music. So, Devin, I think this is a, another interesting uh, conversation here, talking about do hip-hop artists need a union? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I would definitely say I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have an opinion on this. Um, I would say my opinion on the union, maybe, maybe not. That's, that's up to them. But my, my thing is, you know, Master P and other people who have diversified their assets and their income 
they need to be telling the next generation of artists about that. Like, I get the whole starting a union and, and, you know, fighting to tell people they love them and all that kind of stuff. But how about you just, you know, mentor these young aspiring artists who are up and coming, who don't know what to do with their money and say, hey, man, you're, I mean, you, you're making music that's great now, but, you know, 10 years from now, there's probably going to be somebody else to come down and that's going to be doing your job. So you got to be thinking about what to do with your money, just like I did creating Uncle peas. Devin, that's my take. I mean, I don't like I said, the whole union, do they need it? Do they not need it? You can make a decision on that if you like. But my thought is that Master P and others need to be focusing on that diversification of income and assets. What, what, what do you think, though? Uh, yeah, it's both. <laughs> I think it's both. <laughs> I think it's it's an interesting... I've never thought about you know the music industry and, and stars, you know, music stars having an, an, a union. But I guess when I thought about it, I was like, okay, I, I, it makes sense, you know, because although you can go to different outlets to get your music out there, most artists are probably with the record label. And so we know mm-hmm. that there is already a huge issue with them having rights to their songs. So if you had some type of union where they, you know, you, you pay to be a part of it, they kind of educate you on certain topics of how to navigate signing contracts, getting the rights to your music, but also, like you say, educating them on financially you know, um, having different investments um, and using their money. And this is how you spend it because this happens in the NFL. You know, they have an NFL union, Mm -hmm. but one of the biggest problems with sports stars is that when they retire within like three years, most of them are broke. And so now the union is trying to go, you know, start programs to get the younger players when they get drafted to say, this is how you need to spend your money, diversify your assets. These are things that you can maybe looking to invest in, but also, like you say, the older, more established stars need to take the younger ones under their wing and say, look, you need to get your money manager or you need to be putting your money here or just educating them on how to make it last because everybody believes it's going to keep coming. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And they learn kind of late. You know, they <laughs> there wasn't a blueprint to do it. The Jay-Z's of the world <laughs> had to figure it out on their own and say, okay, well, look, if I don't, you know, the rap stuff is good, but I got to do something different. You see, you know, you see Master P, you see Dr. J, you see Jay-Z doing amazing, but then you see other stars who have retired and, and are struggling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I think it's the answer is both. The union, I think, would be beneficial just to organize the industry itself, the stars, but also, like you say, the, the big, more established stars need to do more to educate the younger ones so you'd be like, look, the money is nice. It's coming fast right now. Um, but just as fast as it came, it can leave once you retire. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, because then somebody else is going to start making music, Devin. Some, some, yeah. the, the, the population is going to shift to where maybe they, they used to like this genre of music, but now they like this. I mean, you look at you know, rock and roll when it was big. I mean, it's, you know, the things shift. I mean, it, that, that's just a part of the way we are as people. So, yeah, I, I will agree with you, Devin, uh, just to you know, go back to, you know, if we do need a union, you know, bringing up points like that, maybe we do you need one for every professional organization so that you can instill those good values and those good teachings within these high earning uh, individuals, because those hiring individuals are going to go on to influence communities. Uh, maybe like some mm-hmm. people do, you know, start opportunity uh, centers and zones and things like that. 
Um, they're going to be the ones paying taxes. And if you educate them on the importance of that, maybe they won't do so much tax evasion. So, yeah, there's a there's a <laughs> there's a lot of different things, Devin. I think, like you said, you know, we can we can do both of these things. We can have a union that gets them your know, education and benefits, but also educate them that, hey, you're going to be making millions of dollars, which most Americans never see that kind of money. You actually could do something with that. You could make sure that your future generations never have to work again, but you right. have to be smart with it. So you can definitely do both. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, you're, you're right. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, I guess I could, you, you could either do the but before the break here, I can. This was a crazy story that I saw that I was like, I hope that you know, high schoolers aren't doing this around the country like on a regular basis or anything. But hey, listeners, just to give you a little bit of insight uh, before we go in our quick hits, there was something that they call a promposal. So a lot of high schools seem to be doing this, you know, with COVID or whatever. But this comes out of Big Lake High School in Big Lake, Minnesota, where there's two white kids that are holding each other and a sign that reads, quote, if I were black, I'd be picking cotton, but I'm white, so I'm picking you. And they oh, ask prom with a question mark. Yeah, I mean, Devin, super, super oh, bizarre. Uh, sadly, uh, former students from this high school said that this is not a surprise to them. This is just evidence of the product of the environment that the school produces. Um, statement from the district did say that they're taking this very seriously and they're investigating it. But yeah, Devin, this was crazy. If I were black, I'd be picking cotton, but I'm white, so I'm picking you. Huh. <laughs> really, really <laughs> crazy stuff there. Yeah, I'm not even going to comment. Just going to let that... We're going to go to break. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, so listeners, <laughs> enjoy that. And when we come back, we're going to be in our quick hits. You have been listening to the Black Agenda Podcast, hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show... Let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's get back into it and wrap up our news with our quick hits here. So this first one is going to be out of Germany. There was a German police bomb squad that was called in to investigate a suspected hand grenade in a Bavarian forest determined to actually be a rubber sex toy. So, Devin, there was some (laughs) crazy stuff here. There were some joggers that uh, reported a bag that contained a device in the forest, and they called the local authorities to come out and investigate that. And and the reason that they called is because discovery of hidden uh, ammunitions and grenades and different things like that is not an uncommon occurrence in Germany. More than 70 years after World War II, they're still finding stuff. So when the bomb squad arrived, they inspected the contents of the bag and discovered that it was a rubber grenade replica, so not an actual grenade. The condoms and the lube that were in the bag actually helped to kind of inform them of their hypothesis that the device was maybe intended for something else and not for destruction. 
Um, the the police actually did an internet search to kind of confirm their suspicions and came out saying, quote, there are actually sex toys in the form of hand grenades. So I didn't know that, Devin, but, you know, if you do feel kinky, you can get a sex grenade sex toy. Um, I think I'll pass on that one. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, that's okay. I was going to say a terrible joke, but... Um, I thought about that as I was as I was saying that I thought that I, I kind of did a little innuendo there, but yeah. I figured I would let it I'd let it slide. <laughs> yes. Um, so our, our next story, not as entertaining as that one, but um, a funny story here out of North Carolina. So there was a um, a waste collection truck crew and workers at a North Carolina landfill um, came to the rescue when a woman realized some of her rings had accidentally ended up in the trash. Um, and so her name is Chuck and Pam Smith. They re- recently relocated um, to New Hanover County in North Carolina. And she said she was cleaning the house when she realized that some of her rings were missing. And so she was frantic that she couldn't find them. And she knew in her heart that she had thrown them accidentally in the trash. And so when she realized it, she ran outside to try to flag down the um, garbage truck workers, which is select recycling. But the crew members um, had already picked up trash from 25 other houses um, since visiting her house. So they really, they weren't going to be able to like go through the truck and find it. And so um, the workers called ahead to the landfill and told the workers they had a truckload of trash that they needed to dump out and search for some missing rings. And so needless to say, um, they gathered a crew of about a half dozen workers to actually go through this mound of trash. And they lasted, the search lasted for hours, ending just five minutes before closing time. Um, they went through every single bag um, and it was actually a miracle that they did find her rings. It was literally the <laughs> last bag that they found it in. But she did get her rings back. Probably stinks, but she did get it back. <laughs> Man, she got lucky. That reminds me of a story yeah. where there was somebody that had thrown away a Bitcoin uh, wallet and they oh. tried to ask a city to excavate and the city didn't. And that person was actually going to give the city you know, millions of dollars, but... Yeah. Um, this, I guess North Carolina people are a lot friendlier than that other city. (laughs) (laughs) They are. Yeah. They, they're very nice to stick around, especially as you're getting close to closing time. Um, it's going to be like, all right, man, we tried. Look, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's over and done with. That's a ring. Go get another one. (laughs) So to move to our third one, listeners, this one is interesting. This is about uh, a Massachusetts man who at the beginning of the pandemic sold devices designed to be worn around the neck that he falsely claimed that would protect against viruses and bacteria. He's actually been sentenced to a year of probation, and this happened on Wednesday. The man's name is Julie Lin. He's 38. He was fined $1,500 as well. And this is coming out of a statement from attorney in, uh, attorney's office in Boston. He pled guilty in December to distribution and sale of an unregistered pesticide. And this was the crazy thing. He didn't realize it, but he was, you know, having, you know, some uh, device that you'd wear around your neck. It was a card shaped device, uh, a lanyard that you'd wear around your neck. And he would say that you would wear it and you wouldn't have to worry about viruses and bacteria. But the thing is, the product's main ingredient was chlorine dioxide. 
And the U.S. Department of Food and Drug, or the U.S. FDA said in April that that chlorine dioxide is actually hazardous. I mean, it could be very dangerous. Shouldn't be used in anything for people. So he was actually, uh, I guess, potentially killing people or harming them in some sort of way. But he was selling this as like a COVID protection device so that you didn't have to worry about viruses and bacteria. So um, if you do have any ideas, listeners, about how to protect people from COVID, make sure you check with the FDA first. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Uh, so our next story here is going to come out of Texas and here in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. And so um, this is a, a Texas woman recently learned that she was charged with a felony after not returning a VHS tape for over 20 years. And so um, her name is Karen McBride and she's a former Oklahoma resident and, and she is was was facing a felony embezzlement charge for not returning Sabrina the Teenage Witch to a movie rental store in Norman, Oklahoma (laughs) in 1999. Um, She told the Oklahoma station KOKH-TV that she learned about her charges in Cleveland County after trying to change her name following her marriage in Texas. And so so she she said, quote, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. They told me that I had an issue in Oklahoma, and this was the reference number for me to call this number, and I did. Meanwhile, I'm a wanted felon. (laughs) And so so according to court documents, um, she was actually formally charged in March of 2007 for felony embezzlement of rented property. Um, The movie play, the the location is called Movie Place. It went out of business in 2008. Um, And so McBride says she didn't actually remember renting the movie. And she thinks it may have been an old roommate who was at fault. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> I know that was a felony because I, I think back, wow. I just think about you just getting charges. You know, the company just charges you a big fine and they just, you know, buy another copy of the tape. I didn't know you could go to jail for that or whatever. <laughs> Apparently it's a whole felony. That's a, that's crazy. I didn't even think that could happen. <laughs> not, not a misdemeanor. <laughs> you get a whole felony. Felony. <laughs> All right, and to move to our our, uh, fifth little quick hit here, Uh, this one, this is so interesting. This is, uh, I guess I was going to say prank gone wrong, but it's just more than that. (laughs) So this is out of Arizona. Authorities have arrested a man who police believe severed his finger while slashing his neighbor's car tires after an argument. Uh, Police Department in Maricopa County, they announced and identified and arrested the man. And the situation seems like the uh, Francesca was the, the person who owned the car. She and her husband had walked to some neighbors and a drunk man, un, an invited drunk man, uh, accompanied them to this neighbor's residency. And the drunk man was, I guess, being rude and aggressive. So they told him to leave. And I guess the drunk guy got upset because he had to be dismissed and he went to go slash the tires of Francesca. But he severed his finger, and in doing so, he left a trail of blood so that when the police got to the scene, they saw that trail of blood, and they were able to arrest Johnson. So he's being arrested and charged uh, with different things, including criminal damage, assault, threatening and intimidating, and disorderly conduct. So I guess, Devin, uh, if you're going to slash someone's tires, don't do your finger in the process. (laughs) That's karma for you. 
God don't like ugly for a reason. That's what you get. (laughs) (laughs) All because you got mad because you were drunk and uninvited to the party. Right. I I think it's hilarious, too, in the story. They were like, uh, they had to match him with the finger that was left at the scene or something like that. That is hilarious. Um, (laughs) Boy, karma works fast. I know karma, you know, eventually comes around, but that's like instant karma. Uh, You want to slash somebody's tires and you took off your finger instead. (laughs) bet you won't do that again um and so our our last quick hit here before we get out of here um folks please these gender reveal parties they're getting out of control um and so we're gonna go to new hampshire now so there was a gender reveal celebration in new hampshire that involved 80 pounds of explosives that rocked a new hampshire neighborhood and beyond this was um i think this was last tuesday night and so the blast was felt as far as far away as northern Massachusetts, um, the, the union leader reported. And so Kingston police responded to a Terra Mayo Industries query where they found people who acknowledged holding a gender reveal party involving explosives. And they thought this would be the safest spot to hold it. When the police got on the scene, they found a container with chalk and tannerite. Tannerite is an over-the-counter explosive target used for firearms practice, which is sold in a kit. It's sold in kit form at the quarry. The man who detonated the explosive reportedly surrendered to the authorities, thankfully. Um, And so Amy Owen told the newspaper she was watching her young daughter when she heard a loud explosion. And she said that they live in a four-family townhouse in in Plastow, and it shook the entire house so bad that they thought somebody had actually driven into the building. They scrambled the kids. The kids were saying earthquake <laughs> before asking what it was. Um, and so, like I say, Adrian, these gender reveals are getting completely out of control. Um, and so, you know, last year, I think it was last year, the California wildfires were started by a gender reveal that had mm-hmm. gone wrong and it sparked a fire. Um, I mean, do we really need explosives? Like, what? when did this become a thing? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, just... Be like other people, pop a balloon, shoot some fireworks. But did you really need Tannerite? Did you really need to go that far? <laughs> hey, uh, go big or go home. That's what that's what they always say. LOL. I mean, or, 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 uh, LOL. You only live once. So I guess what they were trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's not for the baby. It's really for the parents. Like the baby's not going to remember that y'all had a gender reveal party. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, you got to take you, you take pictures and you record it so that way when uh, I three, four, and five, you, you show what they did. You'd be like, yeah, baby, we we lit some tannerite on, you know, exploded some tannerite for you. Had to let you know half the East Coast know that we had a, a boy or a girl. Now that, that other the couple that started the fi- the forest fires, that'll be quite a story for their kids oh, to boy. tell. Like, <laughs> I might would tell my kids that one. You wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, said, I would. I, I would oh, okay. want them to know yeah. that, you know, because I revealed your gender, we, we caused a bunch of uh, acres to go on things. So. <laughs> that's awful. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it. That's going to do it for our weekly roundup number 15. We appreciate y'all sticking with us. And as always, before we go, we like to let you know what's coming up on the podcast. And so our next audio podcast is going to be coming out on this upcoming Tuesday. And so that episode is going to be called, Is College Worth It? So we're going to ask the question, is college worth it? And we're going to be joined by Mr. Anthony O'Neill, um, who is the best, number one national best-selling author. 
speaker, financial expert, and host of the popular YouTube series and podcast, The Table with Anthony O'Neill. He is also a part of the Dave Ramsey Network. So you can find him on YouTube or on the Dave Ramsey Network. And so um, he is going to be giving us some, some great financial advice, not only regarding college, but also just in general to how to get yourself to financial freedom. And so, again, that's coming up on this uh, Tuesday. Um, that's going to be coming out. You get to hear our conversation with him. And then, as always, we'll be back next Saturday at 1 o'clock Central Time um, to bring you the news from the past week. That'll be weekly roundup number 16. You can hear us here in the Podbean app. Um, so, again, make sure you download the app, share it with your friends, family, um, anybody, share it with them that they so they, they can listen in. And so, um, also... There is a way for you to donate to the show if you love us and enjoy the show that much. Um, Adrian can let you know where you can donate to us. Yes, Devin, definitely do that. Whether you do it here in the app, it's really, really simple. Or if you go to our website, blackagendapie.com, you can easily donate. The reasons you donate is because we're trying to do something big here. We're trying to do something that's more than educating, giving the news, talking to leaders and experts. We really want to take what we're learning and what we're doing here and transform communities, build an organization, build a movement, an initiative. It takes money to do all that, unfortunately, in America. You can't do it on goodwill and good intention. So by donating to us, you really help to advance our mission really, really far so that we can impact the communities that we care about most. The other thing that donating to can really help us amplify our one of our newest initiatives, which is our Charity of the Month. We're really trying to make sure to highlight a charity of the month. So for the month of March, excuse me, month of May, we're going to be picking the charity called Campaign Zero. Campaign Zero encourages policymakers to focus on solutions with the strongest evidence of effectiveness at reducing police violence. They say we can live in a world where the police don't kill people by limiting police interventions, improving community interactions, and ensuring accountability. Campaign Zero is a project of the non-for-profit uh, 431C uh, organization, We the Protesters. Funds donated to Campaign Zero support the analysis of police practices across the country, research the identity, effectiveness, solutions to end police violence, technical assistance to organizers leading police accountability, campaigns, and the development of, mo- of model legislation and advocacy to end police violence nationwide. So, Again, kind of in the realm of police uh, violence, because that's been on everyone's hearts and minds. We wanted to recognize an organization that's really trying to influence the policy around that. All right. So, again, a a great organization there, Campaign Zero. Check them out. Um, Also, again, you could go to BlackAgendaPod.com. Give us a few dollars if you want to. Um, Also, we're trying to do some new things here at the the, uh, Black Agenda Podcast with our weekly roundup. We are turning to you, our listeners, to try to see if you can give us um, some content. So we are going to be trying to bring out or create a new segment called Person of the Week. And so um, if you know someone, you can submit someone that you'd like us to recognize, um, that someone who's doing great things in the community, uh, it could be your local you know, preacher, anybody that you think would deserve some recognition for the incredible work that they're doing, you can submit that to us using our social media accounts, which is... Um, I, at Black Agenda Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can email it to us at, uh, which is info at blackagendapod.com. And then we're also trying to create a community calendar where you can submit events that are going on in your community so that we can promote them here 
and recognize them. And so I'm um, also one thing, Devin, before yeah. you, I'm not going to cut you off, but one thing, listeners, on our person of the week, we're really hoping to low, uh, to figure out some local uh, leaders and different things. We understand national leaders are they're, they're on MSNBC and they're getting a lot of attention from CNN. So we're hoping to use our person of the week to amplify some local uh, leaders who are doing some great things who don't get that due diligence that they deserve. So we'd love to get your take, like Devin said, on maybe a preacher in your community or some volunteer or some community organizer, maybe even a teacher or something like that. So just submit that to us so that we can start to recognize even those who are doing great things in their own special ways. Exactly. So um, also we're creating a community calendar just to reiterate submit those events you can email those to us at info at black and then lastly i said it before i said it again you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at black agenda pod and then you can also find us on youtube just search the black agenda podcast and so um again like share follow us on there subscribe to the youtube channel leave us a review on apple Podcasts. um but for me and adrian uh, we again, we appreciate you sticking with us through weekly roundup number 15. And we'll be back next week um, to bring you more news and give you more of our thoughts and opinions. So, again, we thank you for staying with us and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.